All right, ladies and gentlemen, I've been teasing it all week, and finally we get to sit down with Rob Reese from the NHL.com. You've heard him on the show before, and we've talked about many different things. Rob, how is the day treating you, my friend? Hey, everything's good here in New York. Uh, just already started some uh, next season preview coverage, so kind of full steam ahead here. Well, you got the the luckiness of being in New York. Obviously, the Rangers are on the upswing, and you know, getting Alexei Lafreniere. What's the buzz around the the Rangers? I want to know your opinion on that before we get into anything else. Yeah, it's huge here. I mean, everywhere, uh, every couple blocks you go in Manhattan, you'll see, uh, you know, Ranger signs and banners and billboards. And I think this Lafreniere thing is huge. And, and what's funny is, honestly, uh, after last season with Jack Hughes and Capo Caco not making an immediate impact, I think a lot of people are sleeping on Lafreniere now in his rookie season. Well, I feel like Lafreniere is an absolute Calder finalist uh, at worst. I mean, and think about him either on line one or line two. That is a stacked team. And there's a spot up for grabs in the first power play unit if Ryan Strom doesn't fit in there well in camp. So Lafreniere, we're looking at a floor of 50 points. And if he plays with Zibanejad on the top line, oh, my gosh. So we talk about Lafreniere and what he can bring to the New York Rangers, and obviously – you know, the Rangers are not far removed from sending that letter out to fans saying, hey, we're rebuilding, you know, hold on to your seats. Uh, we're going to be a while here before we get back to things. Then you accelerate the process with Artemi Panarin. You just touched on Capo Caco. Not a huge impact, but he will be an impact player, I do think, for the Rangers. But then you get rewarded with Alexei Lafreniere. And, you know, you see this team on the upswing. But then you go and look at the LA Kings who got Quinton Byfield. I want to ask you, with Quinton Byfield... Do you see him making the kind of impact that the that is uh, projected for Alexei Lafreniere? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a little slower for Byfield. I, the only reason I say that is because the Kings obviously have a little bit of a lackluster offense. It's kind of over the hill, if you will, but they have a great prospect pool coming in. So it'll be a few years, but I do think, uh, you know, there's some talent there. Alex Iafalo is a good sleeper name. Um, but, yeah, I, I would say Byfield, you know, he's going to make an impact. He's going to be a big-time player. But I think that would just be – I would temper your expectations for maybe the first-season dominance, whereas, you know, he could probably have a similar trajectory in terms of points uh, to Lafreniere over his career. But I just think it's going to be a slower start for L.A. I love what they're doing, though, taking it slow, stocking the shelves. Very rich prospect cupboard there, but just a little bit slower and methodical of a buildup compared to the Rangers, which just absolutely went zero to sixty. Yeah, real quick. I mean, you get that Artemi Panarin signing, and that kind of signal the green means go there. And you fell into it too with two great goaltenders. You know, you look at Shusterkin, and you look at the other young goaltender Georgia that they have as well. Um, I mean, it allowed you to, you know, expend. Uh, Henrik Lundqvist and let him sign with the uh, the Washington Capitals. I mean, you buy him out. So who would have ever thought of that? But, you know, crazy times and crazy things in the 2020 season, you know, in COVID situation. But we look at the NHL now and all the different moves, and we talk back in the wintertime in February about who we'd see going through the, uh, the Eastern and Western Conference. And, you know, I think we both talked about Colorado being a strong candidate. I don't think we really talked too much about Dallas. Uh, but we definitely did talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning, and if they were healthy, they would go all the way. Did you see them doing it this way and, and almost being you know the dominant team that they were, or did you think they'd have a little bit more struggles? 
So I didn't think – so going back, let's just go back to the trade deadline last year when they acquired a bunch of forwards. I was kind of scratching my head at the time thinking, why on earth does Tampa need forward depth? And then fast forward to, uh, you know, the return to play in late July, and they needed that forward depth with Steven Stamkos uh, being pretty much out for the entire playoffs. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I didn't see it necessarily that way, um, but there was just a weird feeling. Uh, we had it uh, on our show – uh, NHL fantasy on ice right before the return to play started. And I remember just saying, like, I have a, a good feeling about this Tampa team because things are kind of stacked against them, because Stamkos is, you know, questionable for the playoffs. And, and everything like that, I think, you know, that adversity almost helped that team. You know, the adversity of being in a bubble, the adversity of your captain being on the shelf for most of the postseason. I think that those things really had them dig deep. Uh, and rise to the occasion. And I think, honestly, too, Tampa's just a team that, you know, through all these years, they've just been so close. They've been a bounce or two away. And, I mean, we've seen it with other teams, too, like the Washington Capitals. You know, teams that are knocking on the door year after year, sometimes it's really not about the core structure, the makeup of the team. As much as the media says that it is sometimes, I don't think it is. I think it's that bounce. That, that, you know, extra shift in the third period, you get that goal, you dig deep, and that's what Tampa did. They stuck to their guns, and it paid off. Well, you look at the additions they made, too. They made themselves a little bit tougher to play against. You look at Barclay Goudreau, you look at Blake Coleman, uh, bringing in a Zach Bogosian, uh, those type of players, you know, they add a little bit more jam, and they can also pop the puck in the net, which is never hurting. Um, but now with the Tampa Bay Lightning, they are like the Chicago Blackhawks of old, they now need to shed salary, and of course, with the flat cap, it's not so easy to do. I mean, putting Tyler Johnson on waivers and no one touches him, that tells you what kind of climate we're in. I'm wondering, Rob, before we move off Tampa, how do you see them getting cap compliant and signing, you know, Sorelli and Sergachev and uh, Kulak, I think it is, not Kulak, uh, Cernak, and getting that group back together? Well, that's, it's going to be hard, as you mentioned, because of the cap, but secondly, with the expansion draft coming up, uh, that's another huge storyline that's going to affect every transaction uh, this year. And that's why you're seeing a lot of one-year deals and you're seeing a lot of two-year deals. It's, it's strategic for the expansion draft. So I think Tampa, they're going to have to get a little bit creative here. I mean, it, the Tyler Johnson thing was really interesting. I, I, I don't know if there was not a market for him or whatever that was, but I thought that situation was a little bit of a head-scratcher. And then secondly, uh, on the blue line, they're going to need Cernak to get signed there because that's a player that can play top-line minutes. He can play physical. And you mentioned Bogosian. Bogosian was an absolutely great fit for that team. Hey, he looked like a puck-moving defenseman yeah. uh, in the postseason, which we hadn't seen from Bogosian since he was drafted by the Atlanta Thrashers. I mean, it was surreal to see that resurrection of his career this late in the game. I mean, he was a, he was a top-round, uh, he was like, a, I think, a fourth overall pick or something. I mean, he obviously had the talent. It just took a little bit to come together there. So, yeah, they're going to need to get creative. I'm curious, too. I think you mentioned Sorelli. He is the guy that you need to focus on right now because he's a top six forward. And with, if Steven Stamkos has any lingering health concerns this upcoming season, in, whenever it starts, you need Sorelli to be in the lineup to be that number two center. It's going to pay big dividends to at least keep guys like that around. So I'm not sure exactly what they have up their sleeve, but Breezebois is, is a really solid guy. Uh, to be running that ship. He learned from the best in Steve, uh, Stevie Y. So I really, I'm not concerned so much about what they do as long as they keep those core guys together and then they have that, you know, Cernak, the, the uh, Sorelli's, the um, 
Andre Palat looked amazing in the postseason last year. As long as they have those guys, you know, kind of continue over the performance, they'll be just fine. I want to ask you one question about Tampa Bay. I know we said we put a pin in Tampa here, but I want to ask about Steven Stamkos and the health. I mean, the health of Steven Stamkos throughout his career has not exactly been pristine. Um, and now you look at this uh, set of injuries. Is there a time that you look at Steven Stamkos and you wonder, is it, you know, almost like Kawhi Leonard? Do you load manage the guys throughout the season to keep them healthy? Um, I know with cap constraints, it's hard to do that. Or is it time you start looking at Steven Stamkos and say, you know, how much do you have left in the tank? I know guys want to play until the wheels fall off, but how many injuries can Stamkos take before those wheels do fall off? Yeah, that, and that's a great question, and I'm sure Tampa Bay is having internal dialogue about this. For me, it's, it's he's such an impact guy. He seems to have such a level head and, and even benefit that locker room. I know it's a cliche, but that's why I hesitate before, you know, I think that they should move on from Stammer. Um, I, I hate to speculate about, you know, his, his medical diagnosis and everything going on, but, you know, sure, I, I think the load management strategy is, is really viable, and honestly, I'm surprised. We haven't seen more of that in the National Hockey League, especially at the goaltender position. I mean, you look at guys like Carey Price playing, you know, 87, 88% of starts, and you're kind of thinking, how on earth is this sustainable? But it's same thing for Steven Stamkos at the forward position. When you have a team like the Lightning that can score, all four lines can put the puck in the back of the net, you can get away with some load management. And I'd love to see it this year, especially if the schedule's a little condensed and there's a lot more back-to-backs for each team. You're going to see no choice but for teams to do that this year. And if it ends up working out, if they end up having similar goal totals, if they end up having a similar win rate to seasons before, this strategy is going to stick beyond this year. No, for sure. I, I look at different teams now, though, Rob. You look around the NHL, there's a lot of movement going on. And you just touched on the fact that, you know, Tampa did broach Stamkos about moving. Um, but there were a lot of players that did move and some players that still haven't been signed. In your opinion, um, I want to ask, who do you think did the best this offseason in terms of their moves? The, the team that comes to mind to, to me is the Montreal Canadiens. It seems like they, you know, moved things out that they didn't want, brought in things that they did. Uh, they're taking a swing on Anderson, but, you know, the Toffoli signing and, you know, you go look at the Edmiston signing. I mean, they shored up their team where they needed to. Um, in your opinion, who's the team that did the best this offseason and will probably pay dividends for next? Well, I want to touch on the Habs because I think that a lot of, you know, there's a lot of Bergevin haters on Twitter. And every time he makes a deal, people are clamoring and they're upset and, and it's a very gut reaction right away to some of these moves. But you have to look at Bergevin's last few moves. I think going, I would say, excluding the Sergeyev trade, that one today is a total uh, mismatch for the Habs. But excluding that, okay, you have to look at Bergevin and say, he's actually made some sound moves. And credit to him because when he likes a player, he goes after him and he'll sign him. And that's kind of what you see with Josh Anderson. Now, Josh Anderson... Uh, can be a 30-goal scorer in this league. He's gotten close to it before. He's a physical player, and I think that's the criticism about Montreal and a couple of the seasons prior is that they haven't been that hard to play against. They're too soft. Well, now look at their right-wing situation with Toffoli, with Anderson. I mean, it's, and they even have Cole Caulfield at, at Wisconsin. This guy's going to score a goal a game a year, a goal a game per, 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 per game this season in the NCAA level. You have him coming up in the next year or two, presumably. I mean, they are absolutely loaded at that position now. The one thing that I think Montreal is banking on, and this could be too much 
uh, of a situation to bank on is that Nick Suzuki and Yasperi Kokaniemi are going to be a viable number one and number two center. I don't have concerns about Suzuki. I think he's a number two center at worst. The only thing with Kokaniemi, uh, he's shown that he's a little bit up and down. Now, I don't know if that uh, streakiness is just because he's a super young player. He came into the league right away. No one was really expecting him to produce right away. He has shown flashes. I've seen him play at the Bell Center. He looks great live. So I hope that he can put it together this season and be that top center. But other offseason teams, uh, other teams I think had a good offseason. Uh, you know who's, who's an interesting one that I don't think a lot of people are giving them credit for uh, is the Ottawa Senators. I think that Pierre Dorian is just kind of saying, hey, we have some more parts now. We have Dadnoff coming in. He signed out Chenyuk this week. Uh, Matt Murray went out and got a goalie that can win games, that can have a nice bounce-back performance. I think Ottawa's a, a team with a lot of young, good parts, and you're going to see guys like Josh Norris, remember the name, he's going to have a good season. Uh, Logan Brown can step up and have a good season. Very young team, very young core. I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun for those guys to play with. Eric Brandstrom's another name that comes to mind who could have a massive season on the back end for them. Just in terms of point production, I think all their plus minuses are probably still going to be pretty bad, but I think there's going to be a lot of ripe offensive talent. And then my last one that I'm going to throw out there, I think Jim Benning is getting uh, not enough recognition for him being able to just say, okay, I'm willing to part with some guys to clean up some cap for the future, to bring in a guy like Braden Holpe to mentor Thatcher Demko. I think that is a very solid situation. Jim Benning is building something special in Vancouver, and I think, honestly, the, the addition of Nate Schmidt to play with Quinn Hughes, that could solidify Quinn Hughes as being the best, maybe the top five best defenseman in the NHL four seasons to come just by having that guy that can play on his right side of Nate Schmidt. Yeah. Oh, man. I just sit and I, I think about these teams and I, I want to know, you know, I want hockey to be starting right now. And I, I'm looking around, you know, thinking about what all these moves are going to do for different teams. So I'm going to get to the big one here. Obviously, we're a Leaf-centric podcast. So I'm going to ask you about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, I want to get your gut reaction and what you actually think will happen. Um, my gut reaction is they got some players that got some sandpaper, some jam, can do different things up and down the lineup. But did they get better? through the regular season I don't know uh playoffs hopefully um I want to know what your gut reaction is to Kyle Dubas's moves and the Toronto Maple Leafs so I don't think they got better for regular season I'm just not seeing Wayne Simmons having that left in the tank I'm not seeing Jimmy VC being the guy that is going to step up and, and Joe Thornton I mean let's call a spade a spade here I love the storyline but you know a 41 year old center on the fourth line. I mean, you already have Jason Spezza down there. I'm not really seeing that, right? But I do like what Dubas is doing in terms of uh, Ilya Mikhaev. I mean, those are good moves there, uh, but I just don't think that this team is, is, is positioning themselves to be a major difference maker. It's kind of like, hey, let's take a bunch of spare parts and hope it turns into something great. It's just not, it's just not the exact uh, vision that, that I think is going to work for them. Now, can anything happen when you make the postseason? Yes. Are the Leafs a lock to make the postseason? Yes. Is Freddie Anderson going to have a much better season this year than last year? Yes. But I think it comes down to more moves. I like the T.J. Brody move. I, I think that he could be great alongside Morgan Riley. I hope that uh, Sam Dean is able to capture a full-time NHL spot this year and be a difference maker in that lineup. But in terms of, just to answer your question directly, in terms of the off-season moves they made, I don't think, excluding T.J. Brody, there's a lot there. 
Well, you see a lot of people clamoring, especially in Leafland, that Rob, that, you know, they're excited to see what Joe Thornton can bring. Can Thornton bring you maybe 30 points? Probably. Is he going to score you goals? No, he's never been a goal scorer. You're right about Wayne Simmons, but I see him in a limited role, maybe 10 to 11 minutes a night, and having that snarl and that edge, and all this time off to heal whatever was, you know, ailing him is also a good thing, and I then look at a guy like Jimmy Vesey who wants to bet on himself and you know would love to probably bounce back and hopefully get a better contract either with the Leafs or elsewhere next year. And then you have Freddie Anderson. For me, is the guy that's the um, the whole glue to this because he's on his last year of this deal. If he wants to come out on the other side and get a Robin Leonard type deal or you know a Markstrom type deal, you know you're gonna have to play your best hockey ever, especially in this climate. And I think that's a motivating factor. <clears throat> I'm wondering for you, do you feel convinced with what Toronto has in net that it'll not only propel them to the postseason, but maybe with what they've done, be able to finally get over that hump and win a round or maybe two? My prediction for the Toronto Maple Leafs this season is to get out of round one and then lose in round two. I just think that this is the year that they're going to have that experience. They're going to be able to dig deep. I do like the veteran leadership of a guy like Joe Fulton in the locker room. You can't overlook that storyline. I just think it's not going to translate to, you know, I would just say this. I would just lower my expectation for his point totals on the ice. But I think in the locker room, off the ice, that's going to be a big storyline for them. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, Freddie Anderson is a guy that could easily, easily uh, be a um, a Vesna finalist, and, and I think he will be. He should be. Um, I just want to see this team play with a little bit more edge this season. I just want to see this team be a little bit more consistent. We saw a great performance from them one game, and then the next game they look like a different team. You can't get away with that in this league, especially in the postseason. I do think uh, the postseason will be better for them. It depends on the matchup. I mean, look, if they play Boston in a first round, I and mean, who knows if the divisions are going to be this season, but let's just say you know things were normal and they were liking to face Boston in maybe a first round, I do see the Maple Leafs getting a monkey off their back. They are due for that. I just don't think that this team is, is going to be able to play a different style of hockey when the going gets tough and really get uh, to the nitty-gritty. I'm just not seeing it with this group of guys. Well, you know, we talked in the in February about the Flyers, and you know, I told you about the bet we had, and obviously, uh, you, I took your advice and we ran with that, and you know, we we all know that I owed some money at the end of that one, um, so I'm hoping for this one can be another one of the me and you talk about something and it doesn't come true because I want to see the Leafs have success. They're a team that, you know, for crying out loud, hasn't had any real success. Period. And you can even say this year they didn't really even make the playoffs because they didn't get through the play-in. So I want to see this young core finally uh, get over that first-round hump. I want to see some you know, growth out of Austin Matthews with that frame that he has. You seen it a little bit last year when he knocked guys down and was like, oh, that, that was me. I did that. You know, Maybe if you can translate that a little bit more. And seeing guys like Jason Spetz and Joe Thornton who protect the puck and are able to use their body and their frame you know, to do those things, maybe that can bounce off on Austin a little bit. Um, but from a pure fantasy perspective, you look at the players on the Toronto Maple Leafs and, you know, I look at this as now it's going to benefit those players for anybody who's playing fantasy hockey, because those big dogs are going to get more ice time and more time to get those cookies. I'm wondering for you, who do you see leading the Toronto Maple Leafs, not only in points, but in goal scoring? And it's probably easy answers in Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews, but you might go off the page. 
No, I'm not going off the page. It's Austin Matthews for sure. Uh, you know, this is a player that could still score 60 goals in the National Hockey League, and it would surprise nobody. He is a top-five pick in all standard leagues for me. No-brainer. I don't care about the center-only position. None of that bothers me. Matthews is absolutely the guy. I will say, though, uh, John Tavares, I, and I've, we've already done some mock drafts this offseason. I know it's super early, but we're doing them. He's a guy that I've been seeing slip in drafts just because you know, his point totals have been a little stagnant with the Leafs. Uh, I think that Tavares has still a lot of room to kind of be that more of explosive player that we kind of saw with the New York Islanders and the guy that can take over games. Uh, I think John Tavares is still a player that, you know, we haven't even seen his full unleashed potential with the Toronto Maple Leafs in that lineup. I know that they were a little bit more uh, willing to shuffle lines last season, um, I think that you're going to look at, at Tavares pushing. You know, he's going to get back up to his first totals with the Leafs in 18-19 where he had, I think, 47 goals. I would expect him, if it's an 82-game season, to be right around that 40-45 goal mark. And then, you know what, hey, if, depending on how that second line looks, I mean, he could he could rack up a ton of assists this season, too. So I like Tavares as more of like a little bit of a, if you miss out on Austin Matthews in the first round, you know, late round two, early round three, you know, don't be shy about pulling the trigger on Tavares. He's very consistent. I think it was just a little bit of a, I, I hate to use the word average when describing Tavares, but 60 points for him last season in 63 games, you know, and then kind of, I think he scored, what, two goals in the postseason. It just wasn't, and it didn't blow you away. Uh, I think you're going to see a big performance from him this year, and, and he's going to be the guy. He's going to be the driving force. I think that keeps that Maple Leafs team consistent. I know you mentioned, you know, Joe Thornton being a great guy for that. Same thing with Spezza, but I think John Tavares is really the level head there that can lead by example and, and put his play first and really see a, a big production from him uh, in the score sheet this year too. Well, one thing that a lot of people forget about John Tavares last year was he had that broken finger, or a couple broken fingers on that hand that set him back, and then he came back with that weird glove on, you know, and didn't seem to really get into a rhythm until he got that glove off and was back to his normal set. So, I mean, that definitely hindered him last year, and who knows what totals he would have put up if he was, you know, normal and healthy. And then add in the fact he was a first-time father as well. So, I mean, I don't know about you, but I got two little ones at home, and I know what it's like to my sleep pattern, and I know what it does to you on a day-to-day basis. One day you could be great, next day you could be tired and groggy and foggy. So I know both of those things probably hampered him. So you're right, I wouldn't sleep on him. I have John Tavares in my... uh, my fan tracks league, and I have John Tavares in my ESPN league, so I have them both. Yeah, you're you're pretty with that, and I think that the father storyline is not you can't overlook that. I think in the return to play format, specifically, look we look at this. I think one team that had a bunch of newborns is the Washington Capitals, and you, these guys are flying back and forth right before uh, the, the bubble started to just see their newborns. That is such an underrated storyline. I think it's one of the main reasons why the Capitals didn't do better uh, in this postseason. Is just it's it's hard to do that, especially when you guys have you, you guys you had guys planning specifically to have uh, their children in the off season. Well, we were playing in the off season this year, so it just kind of threw a wrench into the gear. But I do think you know for an in season storyline too, that definitely affects the virus. There's no question about it. And yes, great point about the hand. Uh, Sean Monahan had a similar problem with a hand injury the last year or two with the Calgary Flames. I think it was more of a risk for Monaghan, but still, that really can affect guys, especially guys that are taking draws. So, yeah, if, if JT's fully healed, this is going to be a big season for him. I like him to even challenge uh, his career-high 88 points that he had with the Leafs in his first season there. No, I look forward to that. And i got to ask the question, obviously, a lot of people want to know, 
Do you see Austin Matthews cracking that 50-goal plateau? I think he would have done it this year, and I think he would have been right in the race for that rocket too. Um, do you see him doing it, maybe uh, eclipsing Ovechkin for a rocket trophy this year? Austin Matthews is going to score 50 goals this year, and, and honestly, the Leafs offense this season just sets up better for it than it has in years past. Why do I say that? They have less guys on the wing to worry about in Kapanen, uh, in Yon. They don't have to get all these guys uh, reps anymore. They've got two clear top line scoring lines that are going to play big-time minutes. Then you have a little bit more identity on the third and fourth line as strategic third and fourth line deployments. So Matthews, this is near he's going to score 50. I do think that he will capture the Rocket Richard Trophy. Now, you know, of course there's going to be a handful of other guys in there, but one storyline to keep an eye on, too, is David Pasternak potentially not being ready to start the season. And if he is ready to start the season, maybe having a little bit of a lingering uh, concern there. So I think this is a prime opportunity for Matthews. Now, regarding Ovi, I mean, you can never count this guy out. It's going to be a race. He's ultra-competitive, don't care how old he is. But I do think this is Matthew's time to shine, his rise to the occasion, big stage, especially if it's a shortened season. This guy could be scoring two goals in back-to-back nights. It would surprise nobody. No, it wouldn't. I mean, I'm very excited to see what happens. Now, we just talked about that for a second there. You said the shortened season. So I want to get Rob Reese's take. We look at the NHL. We look at the other leagues. Obviously, the AHL is talking about February 4th. Same with the OHL. Um, obviously, the NHL will be around the same timeline. Um, do you have any inkling of when the season will start? Anywhere from January 1st to February 1st, but I'm wondering when Rob Reese puts a, a timestamp on things. I, I can't, honestly, I have no pulse on it. I will say uh, my body clock, my hockey clock is way off already. I mean, what, are we almost in November, right? And then there's no hockey on, so it's a little bit bizarre for that. Um, I'm just looking for and exciting to when the puck does drop and we get a little bit more sense of normalcy. Uh, I'm just super excited for that. And there's so many good storylines in the National Hockey League this season, I think, too, with the Buffalo Sabres um, in the Atlantic Division kind of emerging as maybe the first year that they'll get back to the playoffs in quite some time. So I can't wait for puck to drop, but I really don't have a sense of when that's going to be. Well, yeah, the Buffalo Sabres. And, I mean, you look at all the names that are still available to be signed. I mean, some of these guys might start coming really cheap that want to find a home, like a Mike Hoffman, uh, plenty of guys on the, the scrap heap still out there. Um, and I shouldn't even say that. Those Some of those great players, but they want bigger tickets. Um, Buffalo, Ottawa, we mentioned them earlier. These could be destinations. Columbus hasn't really made much noise. So you can see some of these guys maybe trying their hand there just to get a season in, get the reps in, and get the contract. But I want to ask, you know, you go into a shortened season and, you know, there's back-to-backs. There's different things that will be condensed, obviously. Um, what would be an ideal number if you're going short in season? I, I would look at the 48-game season they had when they did the lockout as maybe the magical number. But you'd have to think that the NHL wants to get everything done and wrapped up on normal time for the playoffs and everything with Seattle coming in, as we talked about, for the expansion draft. Um, you know, they'd want to get that done. So do you see them, you know, going with a shorter schedule 48 games and getting everything in and done or do you see them playing into the summer again well i hope it, i hope just for a regular season record and everything like that that we get 82 games i mean keep in mind there's some huge things going on like ob chasing gretzky for example it seems like a long shot but you never really know so i really hope that it's going to be 82 games if it's anything shorter than that 
I mean, I, I hope that you're looking at, you know, 70, 75 games minimum. Um, I can't, I mean, if they did, if they cut down below 50, I would be absolutely shocked um, by that. And I think, yeah, the, the summer hockey thing, you know, we have to see it for one more year here uh, if that's the case. But if that means more regular season games, if that means more of a, you know, competitive field to really distinguish the teams that belong in the postseason, I think that's all for the better. Now, the last question I want to ask you, Reese, before uh, Rob, sorry, before we go, is, um, you know, they're talking about the All-Canadian Division. Um, it's got a lot of people up here excited. It's got some people miffed off because, obviously, uh, you look at that division, then you can easily pick out some of the topper teams, which would be like Toronto. You look at what Calgary's done. You look at what Montreal's done. Um, for you, would you like to see an All-Canadian Division, and would that be fun for this season, at least, just to... Uh, kind of get some fun back into it, pump a little bit of energy, especially in the Canadian markets? Oh, it would be, it would be tremendous. It would be absolutely tremendous. Um, I mean, think of the Battle of Alberta storyline already. Think about, um, you know, Vancouver kind of being a, a fun young team out west. Think about the Habs now with Jake Allen backing up Carey Price and all the moves they made at the Ford group. I mean, it would be tremendous. You have the Pesky Sands. I think they're going to bring that back this year. I think they're going to bring be the Pesky Sands again. So you have so many rich storylines developing specifically for the Canadian teams. I think that would be fantastic. It would be so fun to watch. I mean, it would be – the thing, though, I mean, it, it would be ultra – competitive, which I mean, obviously is the goal to have that top level competition. But, you know, I don't know how you sort that out then and kind of uh, handicap it, you know, to make sure that every division is fair necessarily. But I think from, if you're asking me as a, from a general, you know, hockey fan, what I want to watch at night, I would be watching that Canadian division like a hawk. I would have a hard time watching anything else, to be honest. Well, it would also be able to lend itself to almost like a Canada Cup, sort of speak, between these teams throughout the regular season because whoever finishes first on that you know they're claiming the title of best team in Canada and how long has the debate been going on no matter what polls you do or what stats you throw up or wherever you ask everybody seems to think that their team is the best in Canada wouldn't that be one way for the NHL to market the heck out of it and say hey the all Canadian division we will find out what team is best in Canada and it might come right down to the end of the season it's great to watch it it's great to see all the moves the teams have done I mean, that right there would put a lot of juice into the matchups, too. Well, I want to just say this before we wrap up, is, is the Edmonton Oilers. that They should be uh, leading the conversation there with the two guys that have at the four positions, Rice, Saddle, and McDavid. However, uh, with, you know, not going out and getting a goalie, not, not stepping up to the occasion in, in that regard, you know, it kind of leaves me wondering, you know, what the direction of that team really is. Uh, so, and the same thing with the Winnipeg Jets. You have rumors about Patrick Laine swirling around. That could have been the top Canadian team there, certified uh, for years to come. But it just seems like you know having a couple hangups like that with the Jets, with the Oilers, kind of pushes them to the side in this conversation. And the clear winner, the clear answer for me is the Toronto Maple Leafs. Well, that makes us very excited on this podcast. But oh, I do want to touch on that Munch or the uh, Edmonton Oilers right quick. You know, there was lots of talk about McDavid putting a, a clock on things. And wanting this team to progress, you know, otherwise he might look other, other, you know, other places. And, and it was Ken Holland who said he did speak with McDavid and da 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 da. And then Elliot Freeman came out and said, uh, there is a clock and, you know, McDavid might go. Do you think what they did this offseason does anything to help whet the appetite of Connor McDavid? 
Or do you think it's a step back and maybe he's feeling the same way? You you look at his attitude at times and he's not exactly the most happy guy sometimes with that Edmonton Oilers team because the moves aren't there. And now this season, you're not going in with a proven goaltending tandem. And you, you, you said it yourself, it's almost like they're swept aside. I mean, you got two top players in Dreisaitl and McDavid, but really they're the only two driving the bus. What do you have? No, you have to be you have to be frustrated a little bit. I mean, look, getting uh, Paul Yarby to come back over is great. He's been lighting up the Finnish league. He could be a you know a fifty point guy if he's on the line with Drysaddle or McDavid. That would surprise nobody. The problem I have though, you know, you bring in a guy like Tyson Barra on the back, and that's great. He's going to have thirty power play points as a defenseman, which is a very elite club. However. What is there beyond that? I guess you're hoping that Ethan Bear is really a big-time gamer. I, I think you're hoping that Caleb Jones is. Um, you know, I think you're, you're, you're rooting for that. You're, you you want to see it happen. Uh, but I just, I'm not really seeing that, especially when you have a guy like Mike Smith and Met. I mean, Mike Smith was great five years ago. Uh, Miko Koskinen, they, they have him in that. Well, they re-signed him to a deal in the middle of last regular season when you had, he had a stretch of like four or five good games and then they re-signed him. I just, I'm not really understanding that so much. Um, you know, is it is it better that they kind of stood pat than maybe go through a ton of money at Jacob Markstrom, like the Calgary Flames said, a ton of money in turn? Maybe, you know, maybe, but you can't speculate. When you have a guy like Kyle McDavid, you have a guy like Leon Drysaddle, you go, those are absolute gamers. These are generational players. It is and McDavid could be one of the best players of all time in this game. And you're going to stand pat and just kind of wait for things to shake out. You can't have that attitude. You need to go out. you got to get a number one defenseman. There was there were a few available, okay, this offseason. Even if they didn't get a goalie, if they would have brought in a surefire, you know, top pairing or even second pairing defenseman, this conversation right now would be a lot more positive in regards to the Edmonton Oilers. No, for sure. And you look at the Edmonton Oilers, and it's almost like a missed opportunity. And you don't want to burn years of Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. And it just, when Ken Holland took the job, you had so much high hope for the squad that he'd be able to turn it around. I know he had contracts to shed, but it seems like, you know, history is doomed to repeat itself because they're going the same direction they were going before. And that leads to a Connor McDavid being dejected and possibly walking out of the door. And you talk about a player being dejected. I look at Patrick Laine in Winnipeg. You touched on it a moment ago. That's another player that does not seem happy with their situation, wants to be on that top line with Mark Shifley, wants to be able to get all the cookies and everything in between. And, you know, it looks like Winnipeg was almost ready to package him off to get that second-line center they were looking for and a serviceable top-four defenseman. And, I mean, you look at Patrick Laine, that's a kind of generational talent that can go out in a bad year and score you 30-plus goals. You know, so... Giving up on a Patrick Line is insane, but you then look at all the other things that have happened to Winnipeg too to put them aside on the conversation. I mean, you got Connor Hellebuck, and when he's on, he's absolutely on, but their defense got depleted. You lose a guy like Buffalo, you lose a guy like Truba, you know, and, and you, you start not being able to replenish those things. It's It makes it very difficult, and now with the rumblings of Patrick Line, I mean, I got to ask you outright, Rob, do you see him leaving the Winnipeg Jets? And the Jets actually trading him off because we all know with a player that's not happy where they are, they may not perform up to snuff. Well, I just I have to finish my thought on the Oilers real quick, and yep. just by saying uh, you're you're relying on Oscar Kleffbaum and Darnell Nurse to be the guys on the fence there. Let me just say one thing: Oscar Kleffbaum, 
uh, in six of his seven seasons has, has been a minus player, a big-time minus player in the league. Okay, you put any guys in the back end there, you're going to have points with the even strength for power play exposure to McDavid and Dreisaitl. Okay, anybody on that blue line is going to have points. You have guys, you need guys that are going to be able to play, shut it down, good, clean breakout passes, stuff like that. You'll make McDavid and Dreisaitl even better. So please, the Oilers need to get serious about this. Stop relying on the guys that, that have gotten you to this point. You haven't gotten anywhere, okay? Let's call a spade a spade here. You haven't gotten anywhere. Yep. It's time for a shake-up there. It needs to happen ASAP. Now, regarding the Winnipeg Jets, they were more competitive than the Oilers, you could argue, with all the turnover to their blue line. I mean, what does that say, right? Yeah. So the Winnipeg Jets, no, but you cannot trade Patrick Laine. This is the same. Well, it's not the same franchise technically that traded Team Solani, but it's the same market that traded Team Solani. You know what I mean? You can't. You can't trade players like this. Absolutely not. You're not going to get the value back. I don't care how many draft picks, how many prospects, uh, a first-line winger. I don't care what you're getting back. You're not going to get the value of a Patrick Line. It doesn't exist. Now, the only thing here that I'm wondering is if Patrick Line and his agent have been so adamant about potentially not wanting to be in Winnipeg that this is driving the story. You know, I don't know what he's asking for. I don't know if he wants that guaranteed spot with Shifley, which has been rumored that he wants. If that's the case, put him with Mark Shifley and make that one of the premier duos in the National Hockey League. Do what you can do. Cater to the player. Give him the benefit of the doubt because, quite frankly, his talent deserves that. Now, if you give him what he's asking for in that spot with Mark Shifley or that he's rumored to be asking for and he doesn't perform, that's another thing. But give him that opportunity because, as far as I'm concerned with the Winnipeg Jets, that second-line center spot has been a problem for the past three years. Now, Paul Stassi looked great there uh, in his brief time, and, and maybe getting him back now will pay dividends, but still, that's a player that's 34 or 35 years old. You, you just can't rely on guys like that to perform consistently anymore, so I'd love to see the Jets get a little bit more serious about this thing, too. I do think that, you know, their defense, they have a lot of good prospects there at that position. They have some younger guys, Billy Hainola, um, Dylan DeMello is a guy that, you know, he's, again, his name's not going to blow you away on paper, but those guys can play, uh, and I think they'll be okay. Um, you know, Pionk stepped up big time. So I think, you know, in terms of their blue line, it's not it's not going to be what it ever was after all that turnover, but that can get you by. It's just your forward group you need to be serious about. Give Patrick Line that spot with Shifley to see what happens. Well, then I'll ask you the last question. Another team that's forcefully uh... – had a lot of turnover this offseason, a lot of people scratching their heads until uh, Mr. Nate Schmidt showed up, um, is the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, you look, you watch your starting goaltender walk away. You lose Tyler Toffoli. Uh, you have all these big names you still have to sign. I'm, I'm looking at Vancouver and saying, is Thatcher Demko ready to be the guy to lead this squad? And, you know, is adding Nate Schmidt enough to keep this team where they were and the progression they were taking? I got to ask you, Rob. We'll finish with the Vancouver Canucks as the Canadian teams because the Canadian division. Where do the Vancouver Canucks fall, and are they going to be taking step back this year? I, I honestly think that Vancouver—they're getting a lot of bad rap right now for for the way they kind of handled this off season. But I think it's just future posturing here for them. I, I mean, look—I I know that you're losing a couple guys, you know, on the defense position, uh, Tanev, um, etc. But I think bringing in Nate Schmidt is so underrated. You're getting a guy that can play on the top pair uh, with Quinn Hughes. That could be one of the best pairs in the National Hockey League. You already have a guy there 
Alexander Edler that can play big minutes if he's healthy. You have Tyler Myers, who uh, is a good physical force. You have um, Jordy Ben back there. You have uh, Oli Yolovi, who, who could be who could still be a difference maker on the blue line if he's, if he's healthy and ready to go. So I think that's just some natural turnover there where they've got guys that are ready to step up on their blue line. And then to address the Foley thing, I agree. That was a, a, a miss by Denning, I think, you know, bringing Foley, especially for what he ended up signing with. Um, I would have loved to see them try and make that work or be a little bit more adamant about that. But I think when you look at a guy like Jake Bertanen, uh, he can take the next step in his game. If he gets serious uh, about his game off the ice too, this could be a player that could stick on the top line with Pedersen and Miller, and then you have Brock Besser drop down to the second line with Horvat and Pearson. That's a very solid top six, uh, one of the best, in my opinion, and in that division. So if that, if that works out for them, great. And I think that, you know, bringing Braden Holpe in is the perfect guy to play that, mentor, that mentorship role to Demko. And who Demko, by the way, against Vegas, and I think he played four games, he looked absolutely sensational. We've been waiting for this performance from Deco. He's a guy with a lot of accolades in junior. I think he can be a big-time difference maker, and Hope he's a guy that, you know, he's got familiarity with Nate Schmidt. They played together in Washington. Hope yes, he has been declining in the past three regular seasons, but Washington is a country club team. That team is so good, they didn't need to play too hard in the regular season. It was all about the postseason for them. We've heard it from everywhere. So Hope he's a guy that now he's going to face a little bit more shots. He's going to be included a lot more in the games in Vancouver. I think that benefits him, and ultimately I think that's going to benefit Demko a lot too. Well, I look forward to this season, Rob, and I look forward to getting you back on when things get ready to jump off. Where can everybody find you? Where can they listen to you? Obviously, you're out with NHL Fantasy on Ice, and there's a lot of other places they can hear your work. So where can everybody find you until the season starts? Yeah, so I'm over on Twitter at NHL Reese. Feel free to hit me up anytime. Um, as you know, as I alluded to earlier, we're already gearing up for this season uh, full steam ahead. So, yeah, great talking with you today. Thanks for having me on, and um, let's hope that this Leafs thing works out because that is one area, that is one market that I think needs that is due for a deep playoff run, and I know we'd love to see it here too. So I'm fingers crossed this year for the Leafs. Well, I'm hoping so. I mean, it's been a little bit of a, I don't know, starving for some wins, so it'll be nice to see the Leafs do something. But, Rob, it's always great to have you on. You're very insightful. I appreciate it, sir, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right, take good care. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Rob Reese from the NHL.com, obviously talking about every team in the Canadian division, touched around different things as well. Really great chat there. Well, this is Offside Hockey Talk, where hockey comes to talk. 